Good morning, Golden Corner Church. I'm so glad to see you on this beautiful, hot July morning. Today I want to start a brand new sermon series entitled, The Power of One. Back in the winter, I woke up one morning just insanely early. I don't know, 2.30, 3. And I lay there, tossing, turning, frustrated, praying, please, God, help me get back to sleep. I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack, but in a little while, I kind of put two and two together and realized, God's got something he wants to say to me. And so, I got up, got dressed, drove up here to my office, made a big honking cup of coffee, sat down, and I, you ever just open up the Bible and you felt drawn to a particular portion of the Bible, a book of the Bible, and I just felt drawn to the book of Joshua, the Old Testament book of Joshua. I started reading, of course, chapter 1, verse 1, and man, I got, you know, through the first nine verses and continued reading and kind of noticed that my, I'd lost focus, my mind was drifting, so I, I went back, kind of determined, I'm going to start back chapter 1, verse 1, I'm going to pay better attention, and that happened two or three times. I began to realize, whatever God's trying to show me is right here in the first nine verses of Joshua chapter 1. I don't know if you're familiar with those verses and the story behind it, but This is what was taking place. God, through the leadership of a man named Moses, had led his people out of bondage. They'd been in bondage in Egypt for over 400 years. And under this man's leadership, he got them out. That's a significant step. But he had also, under Moses' leadership, led them through this perilous wilderness. And they get on the other side of the wilderness, and Moses died. So Israel is going through this transition in leadership... And, and the man that's going to take over Moses is a guy that Moses had groomed himself. His name was Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 1, the first nine verses, God and Joshua are having a conversation. And God says to him, okay, Moses is dead. I'm going to give you the Hodge paraphrase, okay? Moses is dead. He's gone. And uh, kind of like, well, it was, a, it was a good thing to, to get out of Egypt. That was a, that was a great accomplishment. I know you're glad that's behind you, and man, it's a good thing to get through this wilderness, and I know you're so glad that that's behind you, but Joshua, I'm not done. I'm not through. The whole idea of getting you out of Egypt and getting you through the wilderness was so that I could one day give you your own land, man, a special place where you and and the Israelites can live, and, and that land is just beyond the Jordan River where you're now camped. Essentially, God said to Joshua, there's more here. There's more I want you to experience. There's more I want to give you. There's more I want you to accomplish. And Joshua, it's time for you guys to pursue this. And Joshua, you're going to lead them. It's just, I just had one of those moments as I read this and reread this where I was sure God said something to me. It wasn't a mysterious, weird, mystical thing. 
But in my mind, in my heart, I knew that he said something to me. He said, Ronnie, this is exactly where Golden Corner Church is. You guys have had 24 good years. I've done a lot of great things for you. You've come far. But there's more. Well, I'll never forget, I grabbed a pad and pencil and I, I wrote that. Man, there's more. This is what God is saying to me about Golden Corner Church. There's more. There's, there's more for us to experience. There's more for us to possess. There's more for us to accomplish. And, and this is what God said. And Ronnie, it's time for you guys to pursue it. You got to take the lead on this. So you know what that means, don't you? I tell you what, over the next several weeks, let me tell you essentially what we're going to be doing. We're going to be pulling up the tent stakes. We're going to be packing our things together. Because this church is about to make a big, bold move in the direction that God has chosen. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, you're taking this literally. Like, we're going to pack up all these chairs. You're going to pack up the sound. Where are we going? You know, we're not leaving the building. We're not leaving this property. We're going somewhere. There's more, and it's time for us to pursue it. So where do we begin? I think the first thing we've got to know is this. We've got to understand the power of one. The power of one. Over the next few weeks, we're going to learn some things about Golden Corner Church. And I think we're going to identify some steps that each one of us has to take. If we're going to experience and accomplish more. You know, if you were to ask me, you know, I'm the senior pastor here. If you were to ask me, Ronnie, if you could choose one adjective that would be used to describe Golden Corner Church, what adjective would you choose? And I know what somebody over here just thought. You thought, I, I know, I know the word that Ronnie would choose. He would choose the word contemporary. That, that's, that's what you would, you would want Golden Corner Church to be described as a contemporary church. Wait, now nah, somebody right here, I know what you thought. No, 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 that, that, that's not it. I think Ronnie would want Golden Corner Church to be described as a popular church, a well-known church. Now, wait a minute. Somebody over here, I know what you thought. That's not it. You thought Ronnie, like any other pastor, would love for Golden Corner Church to be known as or described with the adjective large. He wants Golden Corner Church to be a large church. Now, I've got to be frank with you, okay? I want you to know something about me as as your senior pastor. I really don't have any aspirations for Golden Corner Church to be popular, large, and I really don't care much if we're described as contemporary. If I could only choose one adjective that would be used to describe Golden Corner Church, you know the adjective I would choose? Transformational. That's the one I would choose. I want you to know that about your pastor. It is my goal. It is my aspiration. 
You know, everything I do, I'm doing to try to move us in the direction that you and I could become a transformational church. You ask, Ronnie, what in the world does that mean? I want Golden Corner to be the kind of church God uses to transform people. I want lives to be changed at Golden Corner. I want to see people changed for the better and changed forever. I want to see the unsaved saved. And I want to see the saved being transformed into Christ-likeness. I want to see people raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. I want to see some people who were hell-bound become heaven-bound. I want to see Jesus recreate some people from the inside out, transforming them into absolute new creations. I want to see an exodus of people flooding out of the kingdom of darkness and entering into the kingdom of light. I want to see people who have been far from God growing closer and closer to Him. I want to watch as God's kids grow from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. I want Jesus to use Golden Corner as a, as a means of continuing his work so lots of lives are changed for the better and changed forever. I want us to become a transformational church. So here's the all-important question for this morning. What would that take? I want to answer it by sharing a story with you that's found in the Old Testament. The book of 2 Kings, chapter 5. This story is found in verse 1 through 19. I want you to listen to me carefully. Okay? If I were to tell you that in my 20 years of being here, that this is probably undoubtedly the most important sermon series I've ever delivered, would it change the way you were listening to it? Because that's what I believe. I believe this is the most important sermon series I've ever shared with you. Try your best to get what I'm saying. What does it take to be a part of a transformational church? What does it take to see transformation take place? Let me tell you this story. This story kind of revolves around an Aramean gentleman named Naaman. Naaman was a mighty warrior. He was one bad dude. This guy on the battlefield, it was obvious that he was a skilled fighter. But on the battlefield, it became very obvious that he had a a lot more than just fighting skills. It became obvious that he had leadership skills. And so the man was promoted through the ranks over and over and over again until eventually he was the commander of all the army of Aram. He had about everything in the world that you and I would ever want. He had achieved incredible success. He had the highest position he probably ever aspired to have. He was recognized. He was respected. He was a man of incredible wealth. He had connections. His peers loved him. He had a great family. Anything you and I could ever aspire and say, I want that before my life's over, I want that. He had it. But in spite of that, He was a man who was suffering. That's the word the Bible used. He was suffering from an incurable skin disease called leprosy. Now, leprosy had discolored his skin and and probably uh, 
was causing him a great deal of pain with leprosy. Some You experience some rotting of flesh and you lose some of your members. You know, leprosy was a disease that stole the quality of your life while it was in the process of stealing your life. So he's suffering from leprosy. Now one night the Aramean raiding party is going to Israel and they brought back with them a young Israelite woman that they had taken captive. And this woman was given to Naaman's wife to be her personal attendant. Now, her name is never given to us. We don't know, who, you know exactly who she was. But I've got to tell you, she's rapidly becoming one of my greatest biblical heroes. You think about this. Naaman's armies were responsible for her losing her freedom, losing her life, losing you know, her dreams, her aspirations, lost everything. She is taken captive and becomes a slave. You know what she did? She felt compassion toward Naaman because he was a leper. She cared about this man. She thought she knew uh, that, that he could be helped. So one day she says to Naaman's wife, I wish my master would go to Samaria, the capital of Israel. Because there's a prophet that lives there. She was speaking of the prophet Elijah. And she said, uh, I think Elisha could heal him. Now I'm going to ask you something. Uh, the guy that took you captive, that took your life away from you, are you ever going to feel enough compassion that you would step into the picture and say, I think I know where he can get some help? Uh, this lady amazes me. That's what she did. She said, I think that if he would get to Samaria, meet the prophet, the prophet could and would heal him. I think he would take care of him. Well, the next thing you know, Naaman's wife is telling him about it. You know, to, to, today perhaps, you know, I was talking with our servant girl, and she told me that there's this guy in Samaria, a prophet that, that she believed could, could heal you of this leprosy once and for all. Well, you know what he felt when he heard that? He obviously felt hope. You know, I think he got excited that perhaps this could be the end of a real nightmare for him. So you know what he did? He goes to work to see his boss, the king of Aram. And he makes this pitch. He sits him down and says, I've got to tell you about something, you know. Uh, got this little girl that works for us. Uh, she shared something with my wife. She told her that there was a guy in Samaria, in Israel, that could probably heal me. And, and he's telling the king, he's telling his bosses, because you know what he's wanting? He's wanting some time. He wants his permission to take a leave of absence and go to Samaria and see how this would unfold. Well, you know what his king said? Well, absolutely. If you need some time off, you get some time off. And furthermore, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will handwrite a letter introducing you to the king of Israel. So obviously the king of Aram and the king of Israel knew each other. They were on some kind of speaking terms. I'll write the letter introducing you and encouraging him to do whatever he needs to do so that you're healed of this leprosy. So he was cooperative. So Naaman goes home and he starts packing for the trip. He puts together a team of his buddies, probably some of his officers, I believe. He packs 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 changes of clothes. Now, why was he doing this? I think he believed that anybody who would heal me of this is probably going to charge a great deal. And I believe he's making sure that he's got enough to pay for this healing. And so they pack everything up and they go to Samaria. Now, when they get there... 
Naaman goes in to see the king of Israel, and he presents him with this letter, this official-looking document. The king of Israel opens it up. He says, hey, this is from your friend, king of Aram. This is Naaman who is standing for you, the commander of my armies. You know, I love this guy, and I want you to see to it that he is healed of his leprosy. Now, how would you think the king of Israel would respond to that? You know what the Bible said? The Bible said he experienced a complete meltdown. The dude stood up, looked around his court, tore his clothes, and shouted a question to everybody. He asked him, he said, am I God? Am I God? You know what he's asking? Can I perform miracles? You know what the king of Israel thought? The king of Aram is asking me to do something that he knows I can't do, so that when I do it, he'll use it as an occasion to attack me and my people. That's what's going on. Now, there's somebody standing in the room that has the wherewithal, the discernment to recognize. Uh, Naaman didn't need to come to the king because the king can't do a thing for him. Naaman should have gone down to see the prophet. And so a messenger is dispatched that goes down and finds Elisha and tells him what's going on. Elisha said, okay, you go back and take them this message. Tell that man to come see me because when he does, when I'm through with him, he will know that there's a prophet in Israel, that there's still a true prophet in Israel. So... Naaman and his entourage, they head down to the preacher's house. And while they're en route, apparently God spoke to the prophet Elisha and said, I'm going to heal this man and here's how it's going to happen. And so Elisha goes to his assistant, whose name was Gehazi, and he said, in just a little while there's going to be a guy knock at the door. When he does, he's, he's, you'll recognize him, he's a leper. He's wanting to be healed of his leprosy, and here's what you are going to tell him to do. You tell him to go down to the Jordan River and dip seven times, and it will be done. So in a little while... So knock at the door, Gehazi opens the door, there stands this big imposing looking man, of course, he recognizes immediately that he has leprosy, and in my mind, I, I just hear Naaman going, Elisha? And the guy goes, no, I'm, I'm not him, I, I work for him, I'm his assistant, and so I'm assuming that you are the guy that wants to be healed, so here's what you're supposed to do. Go down to the Jordan River and dip seven times, and it's going to happen. Have a good day. Good to see you. He closes the door. Now, if you're naming, you're, you've got this incurable disease, stealing the quality of your life, stealing your life, and all of a sudden you get this word, you're going to be healed, you're going to be healed. This is all you got to do. you got to get down there. How are you responding? Don't you feel a great deal of relief, happiness, joy, that kind of thing? You know how this guy responded? The Bible said he stalked away in a rage. Get this. Stalked. I, I like that word. Can you kind of see him kind of stiff-leggedly walking through Elisha's yard? And man, I'm telling you, he is enraged at this. And so the guys that are with him, they gather around and they said, Boss, what's the problem here? You know what he said? I thought I was at least important enough that the prophet himself would come out and talk with me. But instead, he sent that jack leg assistant of his out here to talk to me. He was insulted by that. 
And he said, you know, it didn't go down the way I thought. I, I, this, this is actually what he said. I thought he would come out and wave his hands over me and, and he would do some kind of incantation and call on the name of his God. And He said, I thought he would heal me in some spectacular way. He said, he wants me to go dip in the Jordan River. Any of you ever been to Israel? Jordan River is muddy. It looks like flat shells after a big storm. He said, if I was going to go dip in a river, we got better rivers back at the house. I'm going home. His men rallied around him. And they said, no disrespect. I mean, this is, your, this is your boss. He's a fierce warrior, and he's mad. And they said, would you, just no disrespect. Would you, would you listen to us for just a minute here? There's a lot at stake. You've come a long ways. If this man had asked you to do something difficult, telling you that it would lead to your healing, you'd do it. But he's told you to do something simple. We think you ought to try. Well, their words calmed him and encouraged him. Now, I want you to look what happened next. 2 Kings 5, verse 14. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River. And he dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. Now, don't you see this? And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child's. And he was healed. Bam. I tried to picture what was going on on the banks of the Jordan River. When Naaman came out of the water for the seventh time and they saw this radical transformation that had taken place. I got to believe that they were doing some high five and I think they were. I think they were laughing. Man, I think that there was just this moment of celebration. You know, I, I think I think Naaman is awestruck. I think there's such a sense of relief. I think he feels so blessed. You know, I can see him coming up out of the water soaking wet. They're hugging him. They don't care that he's wet. This is incredible. They're so grateful for their friend. Undoubtedly, Elisha changed his clothes. You know where he goes? He goes back to the preacher's house. And he knocked on the door, and this time the preacher came to the door. What do you think Naaman would say at this point in time? I'm so moved by what he said. He looked at Elisha and he said, now I know. Now get this. Now I know that there is no God but your God. I got it. You know what he's saying? I got the object lesson in this. There is no God but your God. He said, why don't you take a gift? In other words, man, I got silver, I got gold, I got clothes. You know, why don't you take something? Elisha goes, no, 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 no. It's not about the money. You know what Naaman said next? He said, I want want you to know something. I will never, ever again in my lifetime bow to, worship, or serve One of the gods of my people. Only your God. You know what he's saying? Your God today has become my God. Period. Singular. That's what he said. You know what Elisha said to him? Okay. Go in peace. Go in peace. 
Now, i tell you that story. There, there, there are three things, really, that I wanted you to notice. And one, I wanted you to see what transformation looks like. Naaman was completely transformed. Skin restored like that of a young child. Listen, no age spots, no sun damage, no battle scars. Gone. This horrific, incurable disease was purged completely from his body. From the outside looking in, it was obvious Naaman's been transformed. However, there was a whole lot more to Naaman's transformation than what met the eye. He came out of that river, his thinking changed. Now he firmly believed that there was only one God. And that was Israel's God. His relationship with God changed. He came out of the river, he made a commitment to this one true God. From this point on, you'll be my God. His values changed. From this point on, his new God would take first place and be given absolute priority in his life. His behavior changed. He said, Elisha, I promise you this. I will never, ever again worship or serve any other God, not the gods of my culture, other than your God who has now become my God. Naaman was a new man. He had been transformed really from the outside in. Guys, that's what transformation looks like. The transformation I want to see take place at Golden Corner Church is a lot like that. I think the only difference is I want to see a transformation that works, that starts on the inside and works its way out. Man, I want to see people saved. I want to see them accepting Jesus. And I want to see them enter into the process of growing up and watch them evolve into Christ-like people. Watch that salvation work its way to the exterior so that you can see that these people have been radically transformed from the inside out. Now, there's a second thing I wanted you to see here. And that is that only God can change a life. Who was responsible for this transformation? You know, I think a lot of folks would say, Elisha. Uh, Naaman recognized who was responsible. When he goes to Elisha's door, he said, Now I know that there is only one God, and he's the God of Israel. He knew who to give the credit to. See, guys, transformation is the work of God. It's the byproduct of a work of God. There's a third thing I want you to see. I want you to see that God uses teamwork to transform lives. This is a big one, man. You ready? Everybody kind of regroup. Third thing I want you to see, God uses teamwork to transform lives. Whom did God use to transform Naaman? You say, well, of course, Elisha. Well, Elisha did play a key role in his transformation, but is he the only person God used? Now, let's go back into this story just for, just for a second. I want you to think about something. Where did this transformation all begin? There was a little girl whose name we don't even know who cared about Naaman. And she thought she knew where he could get help. And she cared enough that she spoke up and said, I think this would be worth a shot. It started with her. 
Does Elisha ever get a chance to be a part of this if she doesn't speak up? Well, then somebody else said, I think I'm going to get involved. Naaman's wife, she now had this knowledge in her. She said, I think I'm going to share it with him. Naaman's wife chose to get involved. She did what she could. She passed this information on. Naaman goes to see his boss, tells his boss what's going on. His boss says, I think I'll get in on this. You need time off, you got time off. You, got, you need a letter to, of recommendation, introduction, I, I, I'll give you one. So now he's getting involved. He said, yeah, go. When Naaman's standing there in front of the king of Israel and he's having this meltdown, you know, there's somebody whose name we're never given, who's standing there that recognizes he needs to be talking to Elisha and took a message to Elisha and brought a message back. There's an unnamed messenger here who chose to get involved. Then, of course, Elisha does get a word from the Lord and he Passes it over to Gehazi. So Elisha's involved. You know, Naaman comes to the door. Gehazi is now involved. Naaman is angry and he's getting ready to leave. And all of his officers and friends jump in and rally around him. And now they're all involved. Going, man, you ought to try this. You ought to do this. You see how God used people working together? Toward a common goal to change a life? The fact is, God used teamwork, people working together toward a common goal, transformation to change a man's life. Here's what we've learned thus far. You say, what does it take for transformation to take place? Here we go. Here's what we've learned thus far. Only God can change a life. Only God can change a life. But God uses teamwork to change lives. You got it? Only God can change a life. God uses teamwork to change lives. Now, as important as these lessons are, there's a, there's, a, there's a more important lesson I really wanted you to see. I want you to see the power of one. Time out. I want you to whisper a prayer in your heart right now. God, help me get this next part. God, help me get this next part. I know you're tired. I know you are. Uh, I'm tired. You know what time I got up this morning? I got up at 2.15. And that wasn't my choice. I'm so tired. You know why I think I'm so tired? Because this is a critical sermon. This is a critical day. This is a critical moment. I think this is why you're tired. So I'm asking you right now to whisper this prayer. God, help me get this. In spite of fatigue, in spite, help me get this. Yes. Only God can change a life, but he uses teamwork to change lives. But man, the big lesson in this story is, in this story, we can see the power of one. Look at this story again. If anyone in our story had not done his or her part, would Naaman have been transformed? If anyone had just said, no, I'm not doing my part. Let's kind of go backwards. You know, here's Naaman. He just found out, you got to go down the river, you got to dunk seven times. And he's going, I'm not. What if his friends... I just said, I don't want to get involved. You know him. We've all been on the battlefield with him. We know what he's capable of, and he's mad. You know, I think we just, we just let sleeping dogs lie. Let's just let him get back in the chariot. We'll all go home and, and, and rethink this. But 
what if they had said, no, I'm not going to say anything. You know what would have happened? I promise you this, Naaman wouldn't have been transformed. They were essential to this. Uh, What if Gehazi had not done his part? You know, Elisha told him, here's what you're going to do. Go tell him, go dip in the Jordan seven times. What if he had taken a different message to Naaman? What if he said, hey, you want to be healed, big dog? Here's what you do. Eat three chicken legs and walk 100 yards backwards. It's going to happen. You know what? Would he have been transformed if Gehazi had not communicated an accurate message? If the prophet Elisha had heard that there's a guy here who has leprosy that wants to get healed and he had been unwilling to get involved or you know, if he had been unwilling to get alone with God and get a, a word from the Lord on exactly what to do here, you know, if Elisha hadn't got involved with this transformation, have ever taken place? No. What if this unnamed messenger who's sitting there in the king's court that recognizes this guy doesn't be talking to the king, and he's been talking to Elisha, who took word to Elisha and brought it. What if he had not chosen to get involved and do a part? Would this transformation have taken place? No. What if the king had said, you're not getting any time off, man. You know, we got a lot of do. This is our busiest season. We got this battle we're prepared for. You're going nowhere. What if the king had not given him time off? Would the transformation have ever taken place? No. If Naaman's wife listened to the servant girl and just thought, I'm not sharing that with him. I don't want to get his hopes up and set him up for one more disappointment. And she says, I'm not, I'm not telling him about this guy. Would the transformation have taken place? No. If the servant girl bows up and she's mad about what Naaman has done to her and she says, I know what he needs, but I'll never tell him. Would this have ever taken place? The answer is unequivocally, absolutely No. If any one of these people had not done his or her part, Naaman would have never been transformed. He would have missed out on a miracle and eventually died a leper. That's the power of one. Every member of the team had an equally important role. And when each member did his or her part, God did his part. And the result was transformation. How does this apply to us? I probably don't even have to say, do I? What does this mean to go to church? You understand we're a team. That's what a church is. We're a team. That you were handpicked by Jesus himself, equipped by him, and sent to this church to be a part of a team. We're a team. You're a team member. You're a team mate to everybody else at Golden Corner. As a team, each of us has an equally important role to play. Now, I want you to make sure that you heard what I just said. As team members, we have an equally important role to play. Frankie, your role is as important as mine. Karen, your your role is as important as Frankie's. 
your role is important as Dinah's. Dinah's is as important as Gerald's. Here's the deal. We're a team. Every one of us equally important to what's going on at this church. I mean, who, who in our story was of lesser importance? They were all critical to this process of life change. If we're going to be a transformational church, here's what it means. Every member, every teammate has to do his or her part. Have to. Have to. If you can only remember one sentence or two sentences, get these next two, okay? If any one of us fails to do our part, someone's life isn't going to be changed. That's the power of one. If any one of us fails to, just refuses to do our part, someone's life isn't going to be changed. Now, you know what? You don't like to think about that. I don't like to think about that. You know why? Because that helps me understand that I'm responsible for my fellow man. We like, we don't want to think about, you know why? We, we want to live irresponsibly. We want to convince ourselves, I don't matter, as long as we've got the right people on staff, you know, the right programming in place, that even without me, we're going to be a transformational church. That's not the truth. The truth is, we're a team, everyone has a role, and everyone's role is equally important to anybody else's role, and when you and I fail to perform our role, somebody's life down the road is not going to be changed. That's the result. That's the power of one. And there are consequences to our decisions, consequences to our actions. In our case, as Christians and members of a church, you know what the consequences of uninvolvement? You know what the consequences are? There are unsaved people not being saved, and there are saved people not growing. Those are the consequences. Holy moly. I could reap some real consequences from taking you this late from our children's workers when I... So let me just make this. Let me wrap this up. In light of what we learned, what we're going to do. Here's, here's what we're shooting for, guys. We all got to do our part. We all got to do our part. I, I think for us to do our part, one of the things we've got to recognize is that we all have a role and it's equally important. We also got to recognize the consequences of refusing to do our part. When you and I make a conscious decision, I'm not doing what God sent me to that church to do. That's just the way it is. I don't mind going. I don't mind listening. You know, that kind of thing. But I'm not doing. I'm not going to do anything. You understand that you're choosing to prevent somebody from being changed. That's the decision. That's the power of one. So to do our part, we've got to recognize how important we are, that we are part of a team and we are important. We've got to recognize the cost of not getting involved. But you know what? We've got to know. We've got to know what our part is. What is our part? So here's what we're going to do. 
We're going to pick up here next week. I don't know. Next Sunday for sure. Maybe the Sunday after. I promise you this. If you're here, by the time the sermon or sermons are over with, you'll know your part. You'll know your part. I'll know my part. And then we'll all just make a decision. We're going to do that. You know, we see some lives changed here. You know why? We've got some folks here that know and do their part. You can trace all that back to this little group of people. What would happen if all of us began to do our part? We'll see a lot of lives changed. That's what will happen. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray this, Sunday by Sunday, Sunday by Sunday, you just lay the block, just lay the block, build this church as you want to build this church, rebuild this church as you want to rebuild this church, whatever you want to do, but the bottom line is, in your great scheme of things, in your plan, Golden Corner was meant to be a transformational church, we are to a degree, but then Lord, we've got so much room for growth and improvement. pray that you help me be an honest communicator, a faithful communicator. I'm going to trust you, Lord, to just do the rest. In the name of Jesus, we pray together. Amen. You're just